welcome to season two of the Shopstool podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. With Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks, Brian Cush from Sawdust Bureau, and Robin Lewis from Robin Lewis Makes. Hello everyone, I hope you're all very well. This is episode 17 of season two of the Shop Stool podcast. So as always, I'm going to start by introducing my two co-hosts and Brian. You're up first today. How are oh, you? I'm first. I'm very well, Robin. How are you? <laughs> Mixing it up. Just, just thought I'd add a bit of spice to the intro. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> and Joey, you're all good? Yeah, good. Thanks, guys. That's good. That's good. My name is Robin Lewis. Welcome to the show, everyone. So last week, we ended off the show uh, talking about Joey's Panto Rider, which was getting delivered. So if you yes. follow him on Instagram, you would have seen it arrived. Did it go together smoothly? Well, yeah, overall, super, super happy with this thing. And actually, the whole process, even though I paid through the nose to have it shipped over to me from Australia, um, UPS did exactly what they said they were going to do. And you know, I haven't had, I don't have a lot of experience with them, but um, mm. they were the cheapest quote to get it to me, and they got it to me exactly when they said they would and um, kept me informed by emailing and stuff. So it was really easy to see exactly what was happening and. I wasn't too worried about this multi-thousand dollar machine being shipped around or forgotten somewhere. Um, Ending up like your, your table. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it ended up costing me just under 4K to get it here in my workshop. Yeah. Um, I had like a $500 duties at $400 shipping. So Any it, issues at customs? No. Um, that, like I say, UPS just sent me a, an invoice and I paid it and it just came straight through. So... Um, they handled it. They handled all of that side of it. I didn't. Usually, I'd get a call from customs to say you've got this payment due, but they just did it all for me. So, I mean, I, I imagine I paid some for that, but um, mm. it was really straightforward. So that was really cool. But yeah, I, I got it on like uh, whatever it was Friday morning, which happened to be my birthday, and um, put it together in about well, it was about an hour and a half. But I was doing some other bits and pieces. But I had my first cut done in, inside of an hour and a half, and um, so wow. it's just super easy to put together, straightforward. I'd only the night before I had watched a video uh, about just kind of using it, and I understood a bit more of the what I had to do to make it work. And so with that kind of fifteen minute video, with with that knowledge, it really made putting it together so much easier. And so currently, it's set up completely how it's not meant to be used on some weird angle with jigs clamps to it in all directions so i can do parts for these chairs and it's it's just brilliant it's so man it's such a game changer really like i mean people talk about dominoes being a game changer and when you get one you're like oh yeah right now i could just make these frame panels i have no alignment issues and stuff like that but for me this is like a whole other level where Man, it's just, I, I can see I'll use it for just about every job uh, that I ever get. Um, the joinery is so perfect and it's so easy to, you know, set up your boards and, and have your orientations and everything. Uh, and, and it just works right off the machine. So, bam, perfect joint. I set up a, I set up the um, finger joint jig on it, which I've, I've never, ever cut a finger joint because I can't be asked with all the jigs. <laughs> and... Um, and I set this one up, and 
in, in about 12 minutes, I set it up, made a cut, first cut was perfect, finger joint, and I was like, right, that's it. Don't have to wow, do that again. Fantastic. But um, I will definitely be using finger joints for things in the future. But it can do dovetails as well, and I'll probably do that um, for my use that for all my draws in the future because uh, you can do variable space dovetails. It's not just one after the other. So mm. um, the only thing I didn't get is a couple of little issues. The um, I didn't get a, a dovetail bit with the set, so I have to buy one of those. And weirdly, I guess it's some American thing. All the bits have an eight mil shank, so. You, the router that I got comes with an 8mm collet, which seems to work fine. One of the bits in the set is a, a quarter, quarter inch, inch, six point, yeah. whatever mil, and mm. the collet for that doesn't fit, and the, the bit slips. It doesn't actually tighten down on it, so I've got to like mm. wrap some tape around the end of the bit to make it kind of grab enough. Um, so it's a bit annoying that because that's a good size, the quarter inch bit's a good size bit, but um, mm. so the the, the bits that, for Joey, they, they all have extra long shanks, do they? To allow you to no, no, not not crazy long. Um, the shank is probably twenty five mil, and then okay. you've got um, seventy mil of cut. Okay, um, and they're really nice bits too. Super nice. And they came included spiral. for that price, so they were extras. Yeah, they yeah. did. I didn't expect to have any bits. I thought maybe I get might get one crappy kind of um, yeah. straight knife or something. Yeah, but I, I would have just assumed it would, would have been yeah. Because it's just regular router bits, isn't it? Or they well, special you, you, you meant to use bits. an upcut um, spiral bit, and yeah. you don't get tear out and stuff. And uh, but I got three bits: a half inch, ten mil, and a quarter inch, and um, they're brilliant. And it's just it's so bloody easy to use. I can't believe it. Um, it takes so a bit of, of getting used to, but yeah. yeah. In terms of the setting up, are there a lot of parts that you need to? There, it's a, yeah, it's a big box of parts, but all the difficult connections have already been made, and it's just a matter of bolting assembly A onto assembly B, and all the little bags of nuts and bolts are labelled, and you just take the right set of um, nuts and bolts and screw part A to part B, and then you're, you know suddenly it's finished. You're done. And that, um, that doesn't affect your alignment, so your, your tolerance is unaffected by how you put it together. There is an allowance, so everything on the machine is based off working to the center of your workpiece um, or the center of the machine. And once you set up the machine and you, you put a centering bit in the router bit and then you scribe a center line on your table relative to how it's sitting set up. Mm. So presumably after that point, you know, if you ever had to shift take the router back out, you would probably have to redo that and just make sure you're mm. bang on center where it should be. Other than that, I mean, once you've got your center line on the little table, everything's relative to that, that center line. And mm. it is stupendously easy. It's ridiculous Great. how easy joinery is. It's like you could give it to like a school kid and they'd make the best furniture <laughs> you've ever seen. What um, so. What is the router that it comes with, Joy? That that's like it's some random yeah. brand you've never seen because it because the American stuff's a one ten volt. The Australian guys have sourced it seems they switch it over. They've sourced like a, a, some random Russian brand. Okay, um, known for it, known it for their quality. Kinda, yeah, it must be. <laughs> it, it sounds good. Yeah, like it, it doesn't. Um, it seems to work fine so far. It's variable speed. Uh, it's a weird looking. It's not a perfectly round router like you'd see most guys using. Okay. It's kind of like 
it looks a bit like a handheld trim router type thing, but it is a decent, powerful motor. Yep. Mm. Um, and we'll just see how that lasts. Um, it's probably, it's, even if it's a so Russian far. rotor, it's probably a Chinese motor in it anyway, isn't it? So Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, you would imagine. Like for so. like. Yeah, yeah. I imagine nothing's made in China and Russia, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, million dollar question then. As someone who has neither a Domino or a Pantorata, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. what first? Where should I go? Obviously, the price is, you know. Uh, you know, now knowing what I know, I would go Pantorata and then buy a biscuit joiner for doing things like glue ups. If you want something to be lined, or or even just a dowling jig or something, if you if you had alignment right um, issues, it's so far above what a Domino can do. It's not funny. Um, and from an ease of use perspective. Like, as someone who hasn't used either, yeah. those joinery techniques, I don't know how they work yet. Am I going to be looking at the pan... Because obviously you've got a lot of experience with the domino. Am I going to be looking at the Pantorata going, I actually don't know how to use this to make the most out of it because I've never worked well, with something like this. Well, I didn't know anything about it, really. and I already bought it. And then I was like, I better watch a video about how to use it. And then mm. I was like, oh, right, wow, that's great. I didn't know it could do that. I can, uh, And really, it was that watching that kind of 15, 20-minute video the night before I got it where I was like, oh, okay, I can do all this. And then it just made me, when I saw the templates in the box, I was like, oh, I know what that's for now. I was going to save that for a rainy day. We don't need that right now. But knowing now, I've had to jump in straight into doing super complex stuff with it with this compound weird mm. angles. And just working that out is so easy. And because it all works off a center point, I can make a jig. And as long as my jig's got a center line that I can line up with the line on the, the panto router, I can clamp my jig onto the panto router table and everything's repeatable exactly the same. So at the moment, I'm making these weird angled notches in the back legs of these chairs. And I just have a jig. Um, clamp down to the panto router and I'm just swapping their legs out one after the other, router a notch, put the next one on and it's just going through the stack of 24 legs Interesting so, That's really and cool I, I imagine the cost would only come down from here It's only going to come down So Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if it will come down much more than it is, given what right. you get I, I was pretty surprised how much you get in the pack um, for mm. the jig, the jigs and stuff like there's when you look at the machine, there's actually not much to it, which is good because it shows how simple the machine is, and you mm. can see all the mechanical parts. You can see if something's going to wear or whatever. Like you can see, you can fix it. But all that, all the things like the bits and the crazy amount of templates you get. Um, mm. I mean, you, you'll be set up for life with that that, that one basic kit. Hmm. So hmm. I'm at this point super super happy with it. Of course, I haven't put it through its super paces, but um, it's certainly being used already and I'm trying to get the hang of using my left and right hand at the same time. And um, yeah, it's going good. I'm, I'm yet to hear anybody complain about um, a Pandu rider right. after they've used it, whereas yeah. I think we've all heard complaints about Domino's, like <laughs> yeah. as great as they are yeah. for some things. And it, the ease of use of it out of the box, like for, for mm. it is so simple, Robin, but. Obviously, all the inaccuracies yeah. that come with it, um, some motor issues, uh, Festool's yeah. awful returns policy and customer service, yeah. which I'm more than happy you know, to call out on this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think um, it's the ability of the Panto router to have easy 
uh, fine adjustment, mm-hmm. which th- things like the domino just don't, it's not even possible. But mm. to just really finely dial in how big the mortise or how big the tenon is going to be on, on the pantorata, it's just so mm-hmm. basic that um, just a couple of minutes and you've, you've set the machine up and you can go run through 100 or whatever it is that you need to make. Mm. Great. We weren't going to talk about this, but I think seeing as we're talking about Festool, maybe we should just have spend a, a few minutes on it. Um, so I'm looking at getting either a track saw or a table saw next, you know, as my, as my next big purchase. In talking about Festool, obviously the Festool track saw seems to be the gold standard. Having heard what you just said here yeah, and the rolling of the eyes, which no one can see, mm-hmm. <laughs> as would Festool with their track saw not necessarily be the best way to go in your opinion, Brad? Personally, not for me. I bought one uh, years ago. I had issues with the motor in it after one year and had to do a Festool mm. warranty claim on it. Um, I mean, it's fine. Like, Festool don't make crap stuff. They make good tools, but their customer service is appalling, in my experience. I've had to deal with it three times, and all three times have been so painful that it just... Mm. If I now, if I have to replace one of those tools outside of warranty, I'm not going to buy another Festool product. Um, and mm. if it was me looking for the best track saw from what I've heard from other people, I would be looking at the DeWalt track saw. Um, it's quite hard to find stockists yeah. of it. Um, I think I think Just Tools maybe stock it in Australia, but um, I it, saw it, there, it, yeah. it was quite hard to find stockists of, of the better DeWalt stuff for a long time in Australia. Um, mm. That's what I would go, Robin. I would go probably, depending on how much you're going to use it as well, I would maybe even look at the cordless one. Um, mm. Like batteries are getting yeah. so much better, and the risk of the track saw is obviously the, the dangling wire underneath. You know, sometimes it gets caught underneath the track if you're doing a deep plunge cut on it. You're risking mm. serious harm <clears throat> um, by cutting through the do wire. That, do you think that plays a big factor in cost? Because I know a lot of things these days that are corded yeah. are so much cheaper than the battery. Yeah. It does play. It, the, do, it the, definitely plays a factor with the cost. Yeah, it is more expensive for the battery version. Um, but because if it was me, because I don't have any other Dewalt stuff. Yeah. If it was me, I'd say oh, I'd buy the corded version and I'll just hang the cable up from the roof while I'm using it. Hang on, I'm just going to. I'm just going to do a, quick, my a quick Google on the cost of a battery-powered Dewalt <laughs> versus a, uh, a corded first. <laughs> You guys continue. Yeah. Oh, right. Now, yeah, okay. most of my tools are DeWalt, yeah. and I'm slowly switching because my, my, my drill driver is DeWalt right. um, cordless. So I would be, you know, over the next few years, be switching to that. So from that perspective, it would make sense. Interestingly enough, though, because I looked at the one that you're, you're talking about, Brian, mm-hmm. and it, I mean, it's substantially cheaper than the Festool as well, yep. which, I don't know, common logic to me says if it's cheaper... It's going to be worse. Uh, no, green, green, and uh, black paint's just really expensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm um, just, I'm just telling you my experience with it, Robin. I think yep. as well. I have, I have a Festool uh, Capex um, drop saw. Mm. In hindsight, I would have gone and bought the Dewalt one. Right, interesting. Because again, that when yep, generally you when you that see is that the drop Ferrari saw, of drop saw, and it is, I've had, there's yeah. so many inaccuracies with the table, with the cutting area on it, the fence. Yeah. On it, it never stays yeah. square. I've I have to reset it. Would, would, yeah. would you agree with me, Rob? If you, or sorry, Joey, would you agree with me? Would you 
look elsewhere would, if you had to repurchase? Yeah, if it was me, I would have, because I had the older style Makita, mm-hmm. um, which had the big heavy castings, which was really good. Some of the newer ones, I think, are just aluminium and mm. they, they're no good. But if you can find the older, heavier casting uh, Makita, I would go back to that. Yep. Uh, because, like just the other day, I was trying to set a compound angle on the Capex, and the whole arm, which holds everything, pivots off when you're doing like a, a bevel cut. The whole lot had like two millimeters of flex yep. in it. Yep. And I'm kind of trying to have to allow for the flex of, and that's in the arm that's holding the machine up while I'm trying to mm. cut an, an accurate angle. And I just thought, this is silly. This thing cost a gazillion bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've got all this play in it, which and the, I never had that problem with the Makita. It was solid as a rock. So also the um, the harder if you're working with harder timbers, that play mm-hmm. matters a lot more because the the blade kind of wants to bounce out of the wood. And I find the the play right. can sometimes be like you're talking about two mil. Sometimes I can find that it's yeah two and a half three mil. If I'm cutting, if Jeez. I'm doing a long cross cut at full extension, like and it's just it's, yeah. it's not really good enough. I don't think for for a um, a brand of that supposed yeah. quality, like so, yeah. Rob and I have found. I'm going to name drop. Total Tools, a thousand bucks for a cordless Dewalt track saw with a one and a half meter track and two batteries and a charger. Three year, yeah. three year warranty. Like that's good. Yeah. I would say yeah, so by the time you're including yeah. a track into the Festool package, I'd say you'd be looking up about. 1600 1700 I would think okay um yeah that that sounds about right but yeah that's that's just the advice that I would give but they are like there are so many things that you can do with a track saw that you can't do with a basic table saw you know the the main thing that I would be that I'm using that that table saw for that I can think of is you know rip cuts Mm -hmm. which I use my band saw for most of the time Mm -hmm. Uh, cross cuts, obviously, that's what the track saw is for. Then you've got your other stuff like, you know, cutting dados and grooves. And, and you know, from that perspective, I think there's other ways around it, but you're never going to have, it, it seems like you're never going to have as easy a time as you would with a table saw. But there are those other ways around it. So, yeah, yeah I, I yeah. just still haven't been able to justify, because if I was to get a, a, a table saw, it would be the, the saw stop um, industrial cabinet. Yep. You know, like the real, that, that seems like a really good one. Obviously, you want to go saw stop for obvious reasons. I would love to go panel saw, but I, you know, I just can't yep. afford mm-hmm. nor justify that. Um, but with that, that d- double, if not three times the price, am I gonna, can I justify spending that on a table saw when I'm, I, a track saw would do the, the work most of the time? Yeah, it's interesting. When I think of track saws, I mainly only think of breaking down sheet goods with it. Um, mm. I've never really thought of a track saw being used... Um, well, for example, like you said, you do ripping on your bandsaw, but um, often, well, almost always, you're then going to have to joint that or yeah, whatever. And sometimes it's just a pain in the butt. Whereas if you can rip, say, four mil off a piece of solid timber on your bench saw, a table saw, it's way easier and quicker. Just mm-hmm. shift the fence and zap, and then you've got a really good um, finish already there. Yeah. Whereas you can you can never do that, I don't think you could do that with the track saw easily or safely. Trying to rip, so if you've got like a piece of fifty by fifty and you're trying to rip yeah. three mil off the side of it, you can't yeah. even see it, you can't hold it, you don't want your fingers anywhere near it. But you can do that on a table saw. Yep. So my my gut feeling would be that 
I'd go for a Trexel when I'm trying to break down more sheet good type things. Um, but then it's all, all also down to your space. Do you think you can fit a table saw there? And, you know, it is another work surface, but it's also, you know, you need to be able to stand in front of it and push work past it. So, Yeah, which is true, especially in a an extremely uneven workshop that is quite low down on the flood map. <laughs> you know? mm. So come, come summer, that's always a concern. Yeah, is this the shop where I want to put my three and a half grand t- table saw? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, for, for that price difference, for a grand, man, I'd probably start off with that track saw. And at least you mm. have the ability to make dead straight cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say r- my best piece of advice for the track saw room would be make sure you get a couple of um, a couple of blades for it. Get yourself a rip cut and get yourself a cross cut. Because mm. it's not really like the table saw, like mm. the combination blades that people just leave on table saws and do everything with. I've found with a track saw, if I don't have a rip blade in with nice big... Um, hollows in the teeth it just doesn't clear the sawdust mm. quick enough and you'll just get burning right okay yeah. interesting. so get yourself yeah. a couple of blades because up up till now i've been using mdf and just making my own tracks yep which it works yep. but it's never really as good and and yeah then you take then all of your reliance is on your circular saw which my circular saw in particular is a absolute piece of junk which needs to be <laughs> thrown on the trash and so you know it, with all that in mind yeah maybe it's yeah maybe i should just go with that in that theory i guess you know you, you um the other week whenever it was you made that countertop your island top out of that beach mm. and i think you got the, the guys to dress it for you is that right yeah um yeah. now with the track saw and you can you could throw those bits through your thicknesser and then rip straight edges on them and glue them up yourself. Straight, but, you off, know, a, straight off a circular saw? Yeah, well, that's yeah. essentially what I do is off my wow, sliding okay. sliding table saw. I don't joint after I go off the sliding table saw because it's dead straight off the slider, sliding table. Um, if I go and then hand feed it through a jointer, I'm probably going to do something funky to it. Whereas I, mm. And the cut quality with a good blade is, is good enough to go straight to glue up. Um, mm, so that's that's where I, how I'd be thinking of it as using it as a giant jointer for yep. um, timber that's longer than you know a meter. Yeah, you, longer than you want to be trying mm, to carry. Yeah, Robin, Robin I, I do a pre- obviously I don't have a panel saw, so I've got the Festool table saw and then I have a track saw. So if I'm looking at jointing an edge on a very long board, like if I'm doing a, say a three meter long dining table, I will do a cut with the track saw. And then um, use my router on the track and just shave off half a millimeter using a really oh, long yeah, uh, cool. router bit, and you get a super clean cut off it. That's interesting. Router on the track as yeah. in so using the track for a straight edge. Yep, using the track for a straight edge. So uh, originally I'd made a jig just out of MDF that the routers had in, and then I ended up buying uh, the Festool um, adjustment to fit the track, which actually works really well. Oh, it's got right. micro adjust on it. So that that was a really worthwhile investment, but um, yeah, you can easily make one just out of MDF that fits the rails on the track. That's pretty cool. Oh right, so you don't you're not just running it on the wood next, nah, butting it up nah, against nah, nah. the. No, it's the track. actually sitting right, on the rails. Okay. So I always find that you know if I'm using, especially if I'm using hard timbers, if I'm using the back of the router as a guide, it still sometimes wants to bounce mm. off the track. Yep. Whereas the beauty of when it's contained in the rails. Mm. 
you know, you do get a straight, straight cut. Apart from a tear-out, maybe, like a bit of tear-out, you, yeah. you will get a perfectly straight cut. So it just adds a little bit more use to, you know, a $1,000 purchase. You, you're able to mm-hmm. use it for something else. Presumably, DeWalt's thought about that, and I bet you their router sits on their, I would, their track. I would think so, yeah. I don't or know how interchangeable. Anyway. Some brands do interchangeable tracks, I believe. Makita and Festool use exactly yes. the same rails. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, someone... I think it was only the Japanese ones, I want right. to say. But, um, yeah, that might be something worth checking out as well, Robin, like, because you probably... Mm. You will want one long track and one short track. Um, the long tracks are, you know, trying to manoeuvre them around the workshop is a bit of a pain. So if you just got the long one, mm. I'd say you'll end up not using it a lot of the time. Um, and you'll just, mm. like, clamp a short piece of timber and then you're sort of defeating the purpose of having a track sawn yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would make sure you get maybe a 1400 and a, I think 2700 is what the festival lengths are. Right. Yeah. Oh wow! They get, they come that long. I didn't realise they. Made, I, th- I thought. I think they go even longer, and they make. They do make. Yeah, I um, think there's a three. They do make connectors that you could connect. Mm. Yeah, that's what I thought. But yeah, I would probably steer away from that. Um, mm. I think mm. there's maybe a little bit too much play in them. Yeah, yeah. It introduces it here, especially if you wouldn't want to join if you're trying to join nope. the board with it, and you've got to join in your drag. There's no way it's going to be in the same uh, line. Yeah, yeah. And getting that track delivered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, is that going to be because I assume it's going to come in a fairly robust packaging? But surely that's—I mean—that's asking for trouble, isn't it? Or do you reckon uh, it should be right? The one that I got from Festival. I mean, how, was how solid was, are these tracks? Are they quite? There's a bit of flex in them vertically. Like I think it's maybe hmm. three mil aluminium and something like that. So mm. there's flex vertically in them, but mm. trying to twist them is very hard. I know there were some issues with the Makita ones in Australia shipping. I think that was what I was reading quite a while ago. By the time it, they actually got to people's houses, they had been moved about enough where they were not usable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember Jordan hated his track saw. He con- was he it Jordan complaining out. about his Makita yeah. one? That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll probably look into that because, as I say, it's, that's going to be the next purchase. And um, if you can if you can glue straight from that, yep. oh, that's gonna make my life so. So you, it was hilarious watching me trying to maneuver that beach yeah. over the over no. the, the jointer. Are you asking in terms yeah. of in terms of delivery? Um, I've just checked out the the Dewalt on Total Tools, and it's nine nine nine, including free delivery with the fifteen hundred mil track. So it's it's Jeez. pretty pretty good deal. Wow. So bye now, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. So we were also going to um, talk today about um, this was something that Brian sort of came up with, which I think is is it's really going to be interesting for a lot of people who listen to this podcast because presumably a lot of people who do are either looking to um, improve their existing business or start a business in woodworking. And the three of us all have very different shops. We're at different stages in our career. And depending on where you are in your career, you might want to move to the next stage, so to speak. So, Joey, you are a fully-fledged, that's your job. You work 
um, obviously as a full-time woodworker, whereas myself, I'm doing this on the side from a home workshop. So we thought we'd just go through some of the the, the pros and cons of our existing situation, um, and maybe that will determine where you as a listener would want to move to next. So Brian, do you want to start us off and I guess just talk a bit about your workshop space, how it's set up and and, yep. and uh, why someone would or wouldn't want to go that route. So I'm obviously based in Melbourne, which has ridiculous rental market at the minute, like commercial mm. spaces. I've generally changed into cafes and retail. So a lot of the manufacturing has been pushed to the outer suburbs. So in Melbourne, most of the makers are based in Northside. They were in Brunswick and they've now moved Coburg, Thomastown, you're talking probably 15k out of the city centre to get a space. Um, it was when I was working as an architect still and uh, I found a maker space that it wasn't one big communal space, but they divvied up workshops into various different sizes and it was based in an inner city suburb in an old heritage building, which it was cheap, but it had lots of disadvantages. Um, getting on with neighbours, you know, you might have an artist or uh, somebody who sews or somebody that enjoys quiet time as a neighbour and you're, um, you're milling timber all day. It's, that's definitely one tricky thing. Um, being a hundred and, I think it was a 130 year old building, it had the original floor in it, which was all over the place. Table saws sunk into it, mm. everything needed levelling. Um, but the advantage was that I started off with a four metre by four metre space. I then took, a, I heard a larger space down the corridor was available. I then took over that once I got a big job just on a short-term lease. Then I got a few more jobs. I moved into the space next door and just gradually expanded into into different spaces, mm. which, as opposed to if you're going to one big commercial space, once you move in, that is your space for the length of your lease. You know, there's no, there's no ability to go up or down as the jobs come and mm. go. Mm. Um, even if I needed to do, say I needed to spray something, I could literally rent the space yeah. for a month. Um, so it's a really, really good option uh, just to look for those maker spaces. I think starting up, especially if you're part time, um, there is a website in Australia called Creative Spaces, and people can advertise. You know, if they have a workshop that they've divvied up, they can put it on there. Um, but it's, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say that's interesting. I never really thought of a maker space in the terms of you could have your own kind of private area. Yeah. I always thought. Makerspace would be everyone goes into like a kind of communal type area and you use all the machines and then you might have some small space to keep your work, yep. but not necessarily like a lock-up actual separate room, which is quite, sounds pretty cool. It was really good. It was a really nice mix of people as well. There were a few other furniture makers, there were steel workers, there were prop makers. So, you know, you could sort of do a bit of work for each other as well. Mm. It was 24-hour access. I was right in the middle of the building, big, heavy, old building. So, you know, you could be making noise in the middle of the night and you're sort of disturbing no neighbours outside the building. You're just disturbing the people in the building. That's yeah. awesome. Um, That's awesome. Then that building... How many of those type of buildings are around? Uh, fewer and fewer. There is one yeah. that has just opened that my intern has rented a space in, um, okay. in Thomastown, which is the north of the city, like I said, um, called uh, Worker Co. Worker... Uh, working cool i'll have to get the name of it um but those spaces get snapped up pretty quickly now because of yeah. the squeeze yeah. on commercial leases um so the advantage is you obviously get cheaper rent because you're splitting it multiple ways 
the leases tend to be a little bit shorter. Um, you know, you, you can't just say, I want a two-year lease, I want a three-year lease. It's going to guarantee your, your space. So my, right. my building that I was in got bought by a developer. I was then going, oh, crap, where am I going <laughs> to move to? I then found a heritage building where I am currently that is a government-owned space, and they, uh, well, it had been vacant for 15 years. I've spoken about it before in the podcast, but yeah. they then looked to move artists in. I got onto it really quickly, got together a business plan, sort of showed them who I was, and I've been here for three and a half years, but it's always been mm. on a three-month rolling contract. So you have to accept that there are... Um, yeah, you do have to, I don't know, there are anxious moments where you think you're going to lose yeah. your space and if you lose your space, you have to find mm. another one in, I think, four weeks is the notice period. Jeez. So it is stressful from that Jeez. point of view. Um, mm. And if I was to I wouldn't move, know what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're in the middle of a big commission yep. and you're right in the middle of it and yep. then oh, you've got four weeks, I'd be like, oh my God, yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Just, that, that would freak me out. But to me, I've always looked at my business, like I've tried to control overheads in my business. Um, and the mm. biggest one for me was always rent. I've never had a house that's yep. had a garage out the back that I could work in. Um, so I need a workshop and I've got to try to keep that rent as low as possible. Um, so yeah, fixed overheads were always a thing for me. Just even if it involves a little bit of anxiety in terms of not knowing the future, it helps me for the now. Mm. And the now is what's important to, to my business just at, at this stage. But if I was to move to yep. a commercial um, lease, and it's very, very hard. I mean, most workshops for one, two people businesses, ideally you'd want probably 100 to 150 square meters. Those buildings tend not to exist that much in Melbourne anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so you're either looking at 400 square meters or you're looking at above 1,000 square meters. So you've either got to go in as a group yeah. and divvy up that space and convince the landlord that you know he wants to rent to multiple people, which I, the way the global markets are going, landlords will probably have to open up and, and look to um, uh, offering things like that. But it is still yeah. a tricky thing, and I would be paying more rent to go into a situation like that than I am now. So, yeah, the benefits and drawbacks, but... Where I'm now being a heritage building, I can't make any modifications to the space. I can't put insulation in. So when it's hot, it is hot. And when it is cold, it is freezing cold. Um, but yeah, yeah, you just have to adapt to it. I've got really bad public access. So I don't, I'm not the kind of volume builder that needs clients coming through every day. Whereas yeah. in my old workshop... It had very good access, which meant I had uh, reps, like finishes reps and like dropping right. in and disturbing me every day, whereas now I get a full day's work. That's awesome. Um, God, I hate reps, man. Yep, Jeez. yep, they are the worst. <laughs> um, but the biggest thing I would say about a workshop is get somewhere that has half-decent natural light, even if it's just a roller door mm. that you can lift up, and um, good access. So, yeah, a roller door. In my first space that I yep. was in, Mm. It was a narrow door. It was down corridors. You're constantly maneuvering things. You know, you finish the piece and then you're stressing mm. about how to get it out of that space. Whereas, yeah, where I am yeah. now has brilliant wide doors. So that would be that would be my my advice to anybody looking mm. to to move out and get their own space. Yeah. What about what about you, so, Joy? What's what's your setup? 
or how have you how have you progressed? Like, what did you move from? Yeah. Like, what was your... mm. So we started in what is essentially, I think, a three three and a half car garage size. It was actually like a purpose built workshop under a house. Um, I had no intention of using it. I actually built the house, and that was right when I ended up getting cancer and everything went up the crap. And so I ended up moving in and using that workspace because um, it was my in-law's house we had built. Right. So um, kind of combined my tools with my father-in-law's, who um, is now in my corner of my workshop here. Um, and so that's where I started the business. So I had access. Um, and, and it's kind of strange. I think everyone has their own, <clears throat> obviously, specific circumstances where they have access to certain things that other people won't. <clears throat> and in my case, it was that I could just use this brand-new purpose-built mm. workshop. Now, in saying that, it was only had like a 2.3-meter stud and um, lots of power points. That was a, that was a good thing because we'd put lots of power in, but it was not big enough to be making furniture. It was great to start out in, and I think I yeah. spent... I think we spent two years there, and, you know, I was just started, started getting jobs that were too big for the space. And I actually was turning jobs away because I knew I couldn't actually physically make them. And also the problem with it was that essentially it was like a basement on one side and we had to carry everything up and down this double set of stairs up to the driveway. And mm. it was a, just a nightmare, especially shifting machines and stuff. Um, so we looked for... I think I looked for four months for a place... And like you were saying, the only kind of commercial space I could find for lease was 100 square meters, and I think they wanted about 14,000 a year for it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I I don't think I can make that much money. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is insane. Um, So we looked way way further afield. Where where I am now, I'm an hour away drive from the city center, Mm -hmm. Um, but we managed to find an old workshop that had been sitting for 10 years abandoned essentially um 200 square meters and it was cheap as chips compared to anything that was going so we bought it outright you bought it oh man and yeah yeah we, we just bought it um and of course it's been sitting for sale for years and the day we put an offer on it two other people put an offer on it as well <laughs> um and so we had to convince them to sell it to us and not the other people um which they did. So for us, it was it was a, a massive kind of family decision with, with my wife as well because we're going to move an hour away. We're going to move somewhere we don't know anyone else there and going to kind of shift our whole lifestyle. is mm. going to change. And so it was, it was a lifestyle change in order for me to be able to get the workspace I needed. And um, so that's quite a massive kind of upheaval of, of everything because we, we were living in a little 40 square meter apartment in in the city center and then suddenly we're out in essentially a very rural uh, area and mm-hmm. um the good thing is that we could make changes to this we, we own it fully mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. the downside to that is that it needs work on it and there's issues with whatever we had to put a new roof on it and we had to put new drainage in and a driveway and we had to paint it and had to fix the lights and all, all that all of that goes with that um, but I think when we were just getting into this subject, my first kind of thought was that you need to do whatever you need to do to be able to make 
what it is you want to make, have enough space for that. But like you said, Brian, the overheads is, is the massive, is absolutely the key thing. If the overheads are, are just looking crazy, then it will be crazy. You can't afford, you can't fool yourself into thinking you'll be able to afford the overheads and you can't say to yourself, oh, I'll just make enough, I'll just work harder, I'll work more hours. It's not how it's going to work. You have to be able to like really show that you can earn whatever it is you need to earn a week just to keep the lights on. And um, where I am now, like we're at a, we're at a comfortable point now where it's working. Um, for the last five years, it, it's been a struggle to actually keep those overhead costs at bay and you know, make enough money to you know, buy some food. Um, you know, there there are times where, you know, we're just not making money because mm-hmm. that's, that's the way that it works. But the overhead costs don't go away. Mm-hmm. And um, without having some allowance for that, that that's, a, that's a stressful time. So I think my yeah. advice is you need to upsize. You need space for this kind of work, but you, you need to be able to afford it. <laughs> like, it, it's a sad, um, you know, juxtaposition, but... It just is what it is. Um, so yeah, I would say don't overcapitalize on, you know, don't just take the, the brand new building down the road because it's available. But you know, like I work in the 1960s, like like Brian, like you're, my, this thing is leaky and cold and hot, and um, the floor is has a huge slope on it from front to back, and you know nothing sits level. But um, we and we work, we live you know, an hour away from where all my, most of my clients are, but uh, we can actually afford it and it seems to be paying the bills. So um, there's, it's a big lifestyle change to, to get where we are. Mm. Now, as someone who works from home, I constantly look at you guys in your commercial spaces and think that's, that's the right way to go. Like working from home in a home workshop is great. There's a lot of uh, pros, the, the, the ability to own the building and do what you want, especially like because a lot of my, my work revolves around YouTube, it's really nice to be able to personalize your space. That, that's, a, that's a fairly big thing. But I would love to be able to take this work off-site because you, I, I don't know, it just feels like you're legitimizing what you do massively. Mm-hmm. And you're also be, you, you're able to separate it, and not in, not in a bad way. It's not not to say that it's a ba- you know you you need to work when you work and be at home when you you're at home, but you're we are so hardwired and programmed to you, you know work during the week Monday to Friday. When you start to gray that line, yeah. it's not only it's not only the fact that you are interfering in your personal life, but your personal life then interferes in your work life. So you just have this horrible, like, gray area. And, um, yeah, I'd love to be able to get away with it. I think get away from that. The way I am now, I am underneath my house. So just yeah. above my head are the floorboards to the living space. So I am, my family is literally right on top of me when I work. <laughs> I, we've just done a big renovation, which, and in hindsight, it was, we kind of missed this. My lounge sits right above the workshop, so I've got to wait for everyone to go out before I can do milling. Right. Um, but that's, that's a perfect example of where that, you know, yeah. those little things, that's interfering with what, what your goal is, what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. It's beautiful to have the space, and it's my space, and I can come and go whenever I want, but yeah, 
then obviously you've got all those other those other things like I, I live in a suburban area so neighbors is something I've always got to consider I mean I went to so, the extreme with this with this shop this is these are um, breeze blocks or um, concrete blocks mm-hmm. core filled so I've got 200 mil worth of solid concrete around the whole workshop the the windows are acoustic windows so I've gone to as much effort as I can to keep the neighbors out but you're always you know I'm on I can see my neighbor's house from here they yeah. can hear the noise when I work and regardless of whether I'm working in and out of um, you know the the the, the council-approved work hours, you're still that asshole running a, <laughs> a thicknesser in the middle of the day. Yeah, yeah that's And funny. again, in a commercial space, that's not a problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, listening to you talk, Brian, about having to be concerned about your neighbours in a commercial space, that would, that would yeah. drive me mad because yeah. that's the benefit of a commercial space. Yeah. yeah. I must say I felt a, a certain amount of freedom when, when we first moved in here and I had, like, the big roller door open and the thickness are right by the front door and I was just putting... Yeah, hooing bits of oak through it and it was making such a racket and a mess and I, I just didn't care at all. I don't care if you're walking down the street, I'm allowed to do this right here. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But to take the step from here to a commercial property, yeah, that as you guys say, with those overheads, oh, you so, know, you could end, end up so you could end up screwing yourself over so badly. Yeah, so what I what I didn't mention about my setup is that the section I've got is actually reasonable size, and the whole the whole front half of it is essentially workshop, and the whole back half was just an empty lot which all the neighbours used as a car park. And so we borrowed a hundred thousand. That was as much as we could get, and I built my, me and my dad built a um, sixty-five square meter little living quarters little house out the back behind the workshop, and that's where we lived for the first year, two years uh, when I first moved here, and. So that saved us. So for that same price of the workshop and the house was still cheaper than any other house in the area. Mm-hmm. By the time we wow. built and bought the workshop, we, we were still like, you know, probably half the cost of buying any other house. So um, it, it worked out that way. And so now that we've shifted off to our uh, other house, we're actually renting out the, the small building behind. Um, I actually kind of want to get rid of it because I want the car parking, but I will lose quite a bit of money. No one's really going to pay me what that little building's worth. Uh, we made it so you could pick it up and put it on a truck, but um, it's, I'm not going to get 100000 for it. So mm. um, at the moment, renting it out is a better option. And um, so that's also like a business, business decision we made early on that that that's, is a probable outcome for, for that building. And it was like a long-term play um, in terms of helping the business with um, dealing with those overheads and dealing with our, our weekly income as well. Mm. So that we knew there would be a time of struggle where we're not getting any of that income, but now it's coming in and it's actually making a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty pretty um, good uh, strategic thinking. Joey, I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, yeah, when, when you've only got limited funds, like we had some money and it was a matter of what are we going to do with it to make our lives really do what we want to do with them mm-hmm. um, and um, you know what what can we afford let's push all of our money into this one option and take the risk and now it's starting to pay off which is good mm. right. so Brian in your opinion 
to anyone listening who is trying to have a go at this and is still in their workshop, where's the point, or they're in their home workshop, where's the point where you would say, right, now I am ready and now I need to expand? Because obviously you guys have said time and time again that work is up and down. So you're mm. never going to have a consistent flow. So where is the point where you say, right, that's it. Now I'm ready yeah. to go. Mm. That's, a, that's a good question. It is the million-dollar question. I'd say a lot of it has to do with your lifestyle and your time in life, you know. Um, before mm. kids that's definitely true. makes things easier in my experience. Um, I don't know. I mean, when I did it, I had just won a business grant is when I went full-time, like – the space that I was in the four meter by four meter space I was paying about $400 a month for that originally I went in and split that with somebody else he was never there he defaulted on his rent I ended up paying his rent but I mean I was in a full time I was in a full time job so that $400 a month even if I was using the space say seven or eight times a month it was it was fine it was it was worthwhile um Mm. But yeah, the transitioning from me being able to gradually build my space, it was very manageable. It wasn't like me going and signing a lease and paying like, I mean, realistically, a hundred square meter workshop in Melbourne a year, you're going to be paying 20, 20 to 22,000 plus outgoings on top of that. So that's a huge amount of money. So I would say to people, make sure that you know that this is what you want to do because it will mean lifestyle changes, Mm. Um, you know. uh, I would also, it's whether or not you have your own tools. If you don't have your own tools, definitely Mm. look towards the makerspace side of things. Um, Mm. I think in Melbourne there's maybe Space Tank, Fab 9, I think there's one other makerspace where the tools are there, you pay. Has its advantages, has its disadvantages. You know, if you've set a piece of machinery up, it is not going to stay set up for very long before somebody else is using it. Um, but surely, surely someone who's trying to make it, have a go at this, and I could be speaking completely out of turn here. But surely, <laughs> if, if you're someone who's trying to have a go at it, you've got you've got to go get your own tools. I mean, that's depends. You can't you, can't you be would taking think this. so? Depends. Yeah. Depends that, on your business model. Like if you're trying to design things, yeah. like there are a few designers in Australia who don't really make much furniture. They're designing mm. things and then basically selling the rights to produce them to other companies. personally not for me I wouldn't get the satisfaction out of it and it's hard to make decent coin out of it in terms of the rights Mm. but I don't know maybe if somebody if somebody is an architect or an interior designer and they want that as a side hustle and just some extra income then the makerspace probably does work in terms of you know you create a prototype like a one to one prototype then you show it to retailers it's just the retail model does not work for me at all um but it depends what you're looking for so i would say you either have to go the makerspace route or you have to look to slightly quirky unusual buildings or move out of the city but yeah you really have to hustle and sort of keep your ear Mm. to the ground i found my space in a council magazine that was advertised it was a tiny bit of small print down the bottom of the page it was usually not a magazine i would read i saw it I applied for it that night. I inspected it the next day. I signed the contract the following day. So good. Mm. when you find something that feels right, I think you, you do generally know. Um, mm. that, I don't know. I believe in intuition around these things. There is no perfect moment, but if you feel as though it ticks enough boxes 
and that you are covered financially for it, that you're not going to expose yourself, then I think you, you, you just have to do it and get on with it, but be prepared to make lifestyle okay. changes. Yeah, for me, I think the, the point of when you say I'm ready to do this would be when, for, for me, I, I looked around, and I've got at least an average version of all the tools I think I need. Yep. I don't have the best of, I might have, I might have the best of one thing, oh. maybe a set of chisels, and I might have a good ha- couple of hand planes, and then I, I looked around and I've got a, an okay drop saw, and I've got an okay set of drills. I've got enough where I know I from the work I think I'll be doing, I think I've got all the tools I need, so that's like checked off. And now have I got enough space? Probably not. I probably need to move up from a single or double garage, um, whatever you happen to have. That's when I would say it's time to, to look around and be a bit more serious about what you're going to do. Mm. It's a really massive mental leap. Oh, I remember huge, yeah. the day mm. I... The day I put, I think the website went live, and I was like, right now I'm a furniture maker, and I walked into the workshop and I was like, crap, I, I don't know how to make everything. What if someone <laughs> asks me for one of these I things I don't know how to make? make. It. <laughs> and and that's actually what prompted me to learn a whole bunch of stuff because I said, right, yep. what if someone asked me to make a cabriolet leg? And I was like, I actually thought that, and I, I went, holy crap! And I went and learned how to make a couple of cabriolet legs, and I was like, right, done that now. Um, mm. And funnily enough, a month later, I had to make one, which was crazy. But um, <laughs> you know, so that's where I, 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 re- I really freaked out about the fact that I didn't know how to make a whole lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and I, I really taught myself um, a whole lot of techniques because I thought people might ask for them. Of course, no one ever did. But mm. yeah, yeah. As as someone who works in a in a home workshop, if I ever move from this home. I will investigate, I will simultaneously investigate the commercial spaces mm. as well as what I can do on the property at the same time. Mm. Just because I, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's, a, it's a good move. Um, having a house with a nice workshop on the premises, preferably detached from yeah, the def- house. Yeah, the detached, office. yeah. Amazing. Would be nice, and I think that would be a, a good thing. But depending on where I am, from this point going forward, I could see myself taking the hit on that commercial property and that commercial property will define the house mm-hmm. that I would move into. Yeah. You know, the, the costs would affect the house that I'd move into just yeah. so that I could have this, that real space that I am now a maker space. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. I think it was a good, cool. it's Very a good thing to cover. Topic, yeah, because we all have such different mm. ways of operating and we're all at different stages of our, our business. But it's questions that I get asked over and over again, people DMing me on, on Instagram to ask. So I think it was it's a good thing to cover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, we'll leave it there for today. Um, so everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please go ahead, give it a rating on iTunes. That really helps us out. The Shop Still podcast is available on iTunes and most other podcast apps. My name is Robin Lewis. Joey and Brian, thanks very much for hanging out. Take care, everyone, and we will see you in the next show. See ya. See you guys. Bye.